Uh, where did Mike go? Oh, I will start anyway. Um, well, first, thank you for having me, and uh, what a joy to hear Mike and, and Christopher. And uh, I think what I'm looking forward to the most out of this time is going home and someone asking me what I did this weekend and being able to tell them I was on a sex panel. Well, I, I, I have the joy of talking about romance and sex, and so let's dive right in. A um, bunch of surveys have been done on romance and where it fits in with marriages, and surveys show over and over again that most successful marriages are those where the spouses are friends and lovers and partners. And romance primarily has to do with the former two being friends and lovers, although there's part of partnership in there. Now, the, the popular secular idea when you mention romance, it has to do with the romantic interest of that person being the most important thing, and you would give up anything and everything. So, um, for example, you have that dumb king of England who gave up the throne for this woman. And people think, oh, that's just so romantic. It's like, no, that's so irresponsible. <laughs> and those, these ideas of romance, they, they inspire all these great novels and poetry and songs and, and movies. Uh, it tends to be very emotionally oriented uh, evoking ideas of being madly and passionately in love. And that's probably what comes to people's minds uh, mostly when we talk about romance. And that is certainly part of romance. But it's only a part. So you have two definitions there in your outline that I think really capture where we want to go. Bob Coughlin, he said, romance is God's way of us communicating to our spouse that they are an invaluable treasure in our lives worth pursuing, investing in, and delighting in. Norman Wright says, romance is the steady delight and the genuine sparkle of two people who enjoy and nurture each other. Now, Hopefully, all of us are saying, yeah, that's, that's it, that's our marriage. But I, I think realistically, some people in a crowd this size are wistfully thinking, yeah, we, we were kind of that once, but I'm not sure what happened. So before we talk about romance, I think we need to talk a little bit about why does the honeymoon tend to, tend to end? Uh, Doug Field says, marriages usually don't collapse overnight. They become bankrupt gradually because they lack daily deposits of love, communication, and affirmation. And so I, I found over the years of pastoral ministry, there's two major romance killers. Um, uh, the first is just things that happen in daily existence. Uh, so on to the next challenge. While you, while you were dating or courting or whatever you called it, you both threw yourself into winning the other person. 
there was that challenge of winning them and, and, and getting her to say yes or, or getting him to be attracted. And then once you get married, uh, other things begin to consume your, your interests. There's jobs, there's setting up your house, uh, their children. And by the way, all of these things are normal and necessary. Uh, they're, they're, they're a normal part of life. But with what can tend to happen is without making a conscious decision to abandon romance, those other things just begin to kind of take over your, your life. Um, the second is, is just the curse of familiarity. Uh, as time goes by, the newness of marriage can kind of begin to wear off and, and you can begin to take your spouse for granted. Um, think of if you've ever bought a new car and you're just thinking, man, this is a new car, I'm never going to eat in it. I'm not going to let the kids have Cheerios. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to change the oil every thousand miles. And, you know, we have all of these things that we're getting. And then after a while, it's like, yeah, you know, come on. And then, I mean, there's Cheerios everywhere and you change the oil when the oil light comes on or, you know, you have to come out tow truck or something like that. Um, and so th just that idea of we can, we can just become familiar. A tiredness, uh, physical exhaustion, mental distraction uh, can drain romance. And again, this, this, this is a reality. There's seasons of life where there's extra work, a new baby has just come. Uh, and those seasons change the form of romance in ways, but they don't need to eliminate its existence. Uh, and we need to be careful there. Um, I can't afford romances. Uh, when um, finances get tight um, and we're thinking, I can, you know, I can't pay the mortgage or I can't pay the rent or, um, you know, the, the electricity is going to get cut off. Um, I can't have a date night, um, those kind of things. Uh, again, um, romance doesn't have to be expensive, and there's ways that we can do this that have nothing to do with spending money. And then lastly is what I, the, the second law of thermodynamics for you scientists. Uh, the second law of thermodynamics is this. In a closed system, things left to themselves will tend to disintegrate. So in your marriage, if you're not careful to be investing, then things will tend to uh, disintegrate. Keeping romance in your marriage alive, keeping it vital, um, not just staying together, it takes planning and it, and it takes effort. And then the second thing that can be a reason the honeymoon ends or a romance killer is just, is just marital troubles. And we talked about this in the previous session. Nobody's married life is perfect bliss. Uh, the reality is all marriages run into problems. All marriages are going to have conflicts. All marriages are going to have hurts. Um, you're married to a fellow sinner. You're married to a, a fellow human being. Uh, I think it's wonderful in Psalm 103 where it, God says he, he knows we're dust. God recognizes our humanity. It's not just that we're sinful humans, it's just we're humans with, with limitations and weaknesses and, 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 and capacities. And so every, every marriage we're going to experience 
the consequences of not only our, our spouse's sins, but the consequences of their, their weaknesses or their immaturity. But the problem is, if those things are dealt with redemptively over time, couples slowly and surely, they're just going to begin moving away from uh, each other. Um, we, we talked a lot about conflict, but what happens in many marriages is they just abandon conflict and just withdraw and just live their separate lives uh, together in the same home. And so what can tend to happen if, if these things aren't dealt with redemptively is, is feelings die and expectations get dashed and our hopes get deferred, which the scriptures say makes our hearts sick or abandoned. Uh, it is difficult to show your spouse that they're loved, honored, cherished, and appreciated when they're not because of, of these. And so um, before we can start to um, practice things that will enhance the romance in your marriage, I think a good starting point is asking myself, so have, have I, are there things in our marriage that I've kind of seen let the honeymoon die that we need to deal with through either repentance or um, just changing some habits or practices or our thinking, et cetera, et cetera. But there are ways we can keep romance alive. Uh, again, Doug Fields said, enduring relationships aren't constructed out of fleeting emotions and occasional passions. They're built on quality time spent together, each partner investing in the other. So what are some of the things, and you might have your own list, um, that you can do to make your spouse feel pursued and special and treasured? What are ways that you can uh, express love and communication and affirmation? Uh, I think the number one way is actually conversation. Uh, I mentioned Jane's and my sipping time, which I think is the number one way for us. Christopher said much really well about this. Um, I think depth and quality of conversation, just or, or talking, um, is, is the greatest builder of intimacy in, in marriage. It's how we, we know the other person, and it's how we're known. And not just conversation, but, but heart talk that goes beyond the, just the busyness of every day, which those kind of things are necessary. So finding out about your spouse and what they think and what they feel, what they desire and what their dreams are. And I think it was very wise of Christopher to mention um, in, a, in a way that can sound shocking, you're not married to the same person. But because we all mature over time, those, those things can change over time and we just can't assume uh, that they don't. Uh, conversation that's intellectually stimulating and emotionally stimulating. And, and sometimes it's silly and sometimes it's serious. Um, uh, and I'm not talking about business talk here. Um, my, my uh, again, observation uh, over many years as a pastor, I think most marriages, uh, talking is too little. Uh, this type of talking. Um, it's too shallow. It just tends to be on the surface. And it's too unplanned. It's, it's just um, th this kind of talking 
Um, it, it, it takes some planning and thinking to make it happen. Um, and so I, I'd encourage not to, not to fall into that trap. So really just the conversation, talking, communication, you're building that intimacy, you're knowing one another. Uh, it's the most romantic thing I think you can do. Uh, Mike mentioned this and Chris mentioned this, studying your spouse. Uh, romance is an individual thing. What's meaningful to one person is not meaningful to another. Uh, on one Christian survey, um, the, the, the um, people that did the survey said this, being an artist at romance does not require so much a sentimental and emotional nature as it requires a thoughtful nature. Uh, not everybody is sentimental and emotional. Everybody can be thoughtful. So everybody can, can do this. Um, Janie and I aren't particularly big on a lot of the traditional uh, romance kind of things. Uh, neither of us like surprises. Um, I used to feel bad about these things, but I don't feel bad about them anymore. Some of the things that people think are romantic, they just seem really unnatural um, or stupid to us. Uh, <laughs> but the key word here is us. Um, not, not speaking in general. If Jane enjoyed those things, uh, I'd do them. I'm just glad she doesn't. Um, uh, an, another, both of us are homebodies. Um, I can't tell you how many times it's like, oh, you know, we ought to go out here and we ought to go out there. And then when the night comes, it's just like, nah, we just want to stay home. And, and, and that's fine if it's what's, if it what, if it's what serves you. Uh, Touching, uh, I'm not talking about a, a quick grab. That is not romantically meaningful, guys. Um, but just contact, like kissing. Like, do you, do you kiss your, your spouse goodbye and hello? And uh, hugging, holding hands, sitting close together, just being in physical contact with one another. Uh, whispering sweet somethings. Um, just generously expressing daily appreciation, daily encouragement, daily praise, daily gratitude, daily affections, just in, in investing in um, building your spouse up in those ways. And by the way, uh, that, that just includes a, a thoughtful, observant nature uh, and, and, if, and if you can't, I just can't think of anything to say good about them, then uh, you got some other problems that, that we need to. And, and they don't have to be big things. I think one of the biggest uh, hindrances to, to praising and appreciating and encouraging is just to think, well, it has to be something big uh, that they did. Uh, it doesn't have to be something big. It's just those small things. By the way, this is really important for your children as well. This isn't a parenting seminar, but I'll just throw that one in there for you. Um, caring for your physical appearance. Now, please, everyone hear this. I'm not talking about falling prey to this worldly ideal of masculine and feminine attraction. That's not what we're talking about here. That's, that's not Christian, it's not right, it, 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 it doesn't serve or help anyone. But I am talking about the fact that couples should um, be mindful of being physically attractive 
um, to, to their spouse. I think when, when you let you get yourself go physically, basically what you're saying is, I don't care uh, about that other person. And so, um, for example, when you were dating, uh, I'm guessing you didn't show up uh, on a date with stubble or uh, with torn clothing covered with paint or bad breath or corn stuck in your teeth. Um, and, and I'm guessing you guys probably didn't do that either. <laughs> so why, why would you do that now is, is the point. Uh, serving, uh, serving in, in just ordinary ways like daily household chores. How many of wives would, would think, man, it was so romantic for him to just take the trash out? That, that was just, man, that made me feel so special, treasured, um, loved. Uh, but then um, just spoiling them in, in special ways, uh, special gifts and notes, uh, flowers, gifts, cards, etc. cetera. Um, dating, um, you know, Jane and I kind of talked about date nights. Um, but um, just can, can there be some special times together? Uh, maybe it is uh, a weekly date night if that works for you. Great. Uh, maybe it's, it's, it's an occasional date night. Maybe it's uh, a weekend getaway um, together. Or, uh, or maybe it's just a day trip somewhere. But just sometime when, you, when you're breaking out of your routine and doing something that's special and meaningful for you. And uh, I love uh, Mike uh, quoting Dr. Piper last night where he talked about let's. Um, you know, husbands, you taking the initiative both to come up with ideas, get babysitters, uh, plan where to go, plan how to make it happen. And then Nick and Jenna mentioned this. I'm so glad they did. It's just having fun together. Um, one of my spiritual gifts that, that, that Jane um, r really promotes is, is the gift of goofing off. I, I just excel at goofing off that flows from the heart motivation of being one of the laziest people <laughs> you'd ever want to meet in your life. And, and so I, I just have no problem um, goofing off. Um, but I can give you biblical reasons, but you, know, you wouldn't buy them. Um, uh, we, our lives can become so programmed that, that I, I will give you some biblical reasons. God, God created a Sabbath for a, a purpose. He, know, he, he knew we needed refreshment and he knew we needed recreation or recreation is, is, is an important part of what we do. And so if our lives are so programmed, if, if everything, and I don't, don't take this wrong, if everything has to be spiritual or uh, if we just can't have fun, if we just can't do the things that we enjoy together, uh, I think we're missing an important part of, of building our, our marriages together. So um, some of you people that feel guilty about having fun, uh, I would just recommend you get over it.
Okay, so that's romance. Uh, now let's talk about sex. Um, if there's one group in America that's probably thought of as the least sexy, I'm thinking it's Christians. Um, however, Christians aren't much different than society in general. Uh, some Christians have great sex lives. Some Christians most probably have average sex lives and some have poor sex lives. But it is my conviction that Christians should be the most sexually fulfilled people in the world because we approach this topic from a way that somebody that doesn't have the Lord and doesn't have the, the scriptural instruction can, can never approach it. They, they can never experience the fullness of what God intended for this apart from how God intended it to be. And so um, I, 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 my goal in, in these kind of sessions is always that couples would really just be able to experience the full blessing of what God has for us in these uh, ways. Now, one of the problems with this is uh, sex is infrequently spoken about in churches, and it can be hard to discuss for uh, couples for a variety of reasons. One, it's private and it's meant to be private. Uh, I don't know and I don't want to know uh, generally what's going on in people's sex lives. The difficulty comes when a couple is struggling, when a couple's having a hard time uh, and, and they, they maybe have no basis for comparison. You know, is this normal? Is this... Um, and they don't know how to bring up the subject with somebody that they trust because it's so personal. It, it involves so much of who we are. It's so tied up in our identity in many ways. Or, um, you know, maybe their spouse doesn't want them to. It's like, no, we're not talking about this with, with anybody. So uh, it can be difficult in that way. Um, also, the, the sexual relationship is a mystery. Um, sex in marriage is, is filled with much more meaning than words can um, express. Um, it, it has to be experienced to be properly appreciated. Someone once asked Mozart uh, uh, to, uh, what, what his music meant, and he said, if I could express it in words, I wouldn't need the music. And that's, that's kind of a good analogy for, it's, it's, this can just be how, how, you know, it's not just about the technicals, it's about everything that's involved in there. And so, um, but I think the, the, give, even given all of that, I think there's things that can help every couple grow. Um, Dwight Small said, sexual intercourse is more than a physical act. It is a symbol of a spiritual relationship and the expression of the complete oneness of two people in married love. It is the means by which they are confirmed and nourished in that union. Um, so let's start again like we did with romance before we start this and that. What are the things that tend to hinder um, a good sexual relationship? Um, they're, they're actually the things that tend to hinder marriage in general, uh, ignorance and selfishness and a lack of communication, we can come back to those. So first of all, ignorance. Uh, ignorance includes both a lack of information and, 
and misinformation. Um, men in particular think they know, they know everything there is uh, to know uh, about uh, sex and being a good partner. Uh, the fact is, uh, most people get their sexual information and training in wrong ways. Um, sex does not come naturally. Um, it takes learning and it, and it takes practice. Uh, the second is just selfishness. When, when getting becomes more important than giving, uh, your sexual relationship is going to be in trouble. Uh, and then just lack of communication. I think this is an area that couples seem to have a hard time talking about. So we'll address all of these. So what are some ways we can find sexual fulfillment in marriage? Well, I think first of all, it has to do with being informed, is just to develop a proper attitude. Um, I think many people are sadly influenced about their sexual relationship by unbiblical sources like TV, even TV commercials, um, movies, books, magazines, music peers. Um, for many Christians, teaching on sex was either negative or it was non-existent. Um, and then some people are affected by their past sexual immorality that and, and before I say anything else, by the way, that's where forgiveness in, in Christ and, and grace from God um, come in here. Uh, but it's then so easy to associate that past illegitimate expression with then how do I, how do I match that up with this current legitimate um, expression? Um, but but the scripture teaches the sexual uh, treats the sexual relationship between a man and a woman as something that is perfectly holy uh, in marriage uh, and and perfectly good. Um, in Hebrews thirteen four, uh, the writer says, "Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers." So. Um, the sexual relationship, things it's, it's ordained by God. This, this was God's idea. Male and female, he created them. Um, your sexuality is, is a natural relational desire for the opposite sex, and it's a gift from the Lord, and it's purposeful. Uh, imagine if, if you never uh, got past the boys have cooties stage, um, how we would ever be fruitful and multiply uh, in the earth. There's a time where God has ordained that um, we would not find the opposite sex kind of weird or gross, but we would begin to say, oh, there's something here. Um, and that's God's doing. Now, that's been corrupted by the fall, uh, but it was created by God. Um, it's like we mentioned, it's for procreation. Genesis 1.28, God sits in them, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, but it's also for pleasure. Um, much of the bad church teaching about the sexual relationship has to do with this misunderstanding that sexual relations weren't just for one thing, procreation. 
they were for pleasure for a husband and a wife. Uh, so one example, Proverbs 5, uh, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you all the times with delight and be intoxicated always with, his love, with her love. Um, the Song of Solomon, uh, an entire book of scripture that presents sexual love as more of this duty so we can be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, but this profound pleasure between married people. Uh, one of the reasons that uh, the church turned this into, wrongly, into an analogy of uh, Jesus' love for the church, which is wrong. I was going to use another word, but anyway. Um, um, it, but there's a whole book in the Bible that just expresses that the sexual relationship in God's eyes, he's created to be a blessing uh, for married couples and, and a pleasure. Um, so uh, it's for procreation, it's for pleasure, it's for expressing and building, deepening unity. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. This idea of one flesh speaks to the fullness of fellowship in every way that God meant for a man and a wife to experience in the context of marriage, that intimacy in every area of their married life, including uh, the sexual relationship. So it's, it's for expressing that, but it's also for deepening that one flesh relationship. Uh, it is regulated by commands. First uh, Corinthians 7, 1 through 5, I think we have a question about this. It gives us three important principles for the sexual relationship within marriage. One, Meeting your spouse's needs is your duty. And let me just add, as is doing so with grace for both of you. Uh, God doesn't intend you to play the duty card uh, when it comes to this principle. Uh, husband and wife had e have equal authority in this area. And then the third um, is that any break in sexual activity should be mutually agreed upon, temporary, and only for specific purposes. And so those, those are kind of the, the, the principles, the boundaries, which we're called to work within. Uh, but then that it's to be freely enjoyed within uh, those boundaries. Obviously, there are restrictions on sexual behavior outside of marriage and outside of um, a heterosexual couple. But what about within? Like, how do we think, you know, what are the restrictions? Um, if you do read the Song of Solomon, uh, you'll find that every sense is enjoyed as the lovers talk about their experience, sight, hearing, smell, taste, touch. So let me, let me just um, give you some principles. I'm not, I think these are in your outline. Um, to, as you start thinking about, okay, so how, how do we find our boundaries? Uh, I, I think first, the sexual relationship is designed exclusively for a husband and wife, completely alone and with each other. Uh, secondly, 
No sexual act should offend either spouse. There should be nothing offensive that is done. No pain or danger should be involved in any sexual act. And then sexual activity must be an act of giving, not forcing or manipulating. Uh, I think if those basic principles, if we, if we stay within those Corinthian boundaries and those boundaries, uh, I think couples are then free to enjoy their sexual relationship um, with one another. So uh, that's, all of that was actually the first point, develop the proper attitude. Uh, the second is improve the atmosphere in your marriage and in your home. Uh, Jim Conway says, sexual intimacy involves all that goes on between a husband and wife, emotionally as well as physically. Your sexual relationship will, will reaffirm either the presence or the lack of intimacy in your marriage. It won't create it. Let me say that again. I don't want you to miss this. Your sexual uh, relationship will reaffirm either the presence or the lack of intimacy in your marriage. It doesn't create it. In other words, it's not love making, it's love expressing. And those are two very different things. You, you make love by your daily care for one another, and that love is reflected in your sexual relationship, not created uh, there. Um, but when the rest of your relationship is good, then your sexual relationship enhances everything else that goes on uh, in your marriage. Um, it's the recognition that every part uh, of you in your life is involved uh, sexually. It's physical, but it's also emotional and it's spiritual. Uh, this gets expressed in many ways, sayings like sex begins in the living room, sex is an all-day affair, uh, the most important sex organ is the brain. All of these things are trying to express just what I'm saying to you, that it's the totality of your marriage that makes the sexual relationship special, not vice versa. And if everything else in your marriage is, is not going well, you can't expect that this aspect of your marriage is somehow going to be the outlier that is going to go uh, well. Uh, men can be notoriously um, bad at not understanding this. Uh, most men have the ability to very easily compartmentalize sex to just this little time of day. And um, it's one reason, by the way, why romance is so important. Um, it's also why just be, being the husband uh, in every way, fulfilling your role as a husband, as a leader in the home and everything else God calls you to uh, is important. Third, grow in your understanding of the sexual relationship. Um, a, a study of Christian counselors found that sexual satisfaction can be improved as couples focused on each other's needs and talked freely about their own needs. So, um, read and be informed. There's good Christian books out there uh, that will help you to understand this better. But let me say this. Your best teacher, if you will allow them to be, is your spouse. Um, no book, no, no, you have no better teacher if you will allow them to be 
than your spouse. Um, I, I, I think you'd be wise if both spouses should be completely free to talk about what pleases them before sex, during sex, and after sex. And they should be able to do this before, during, and after sex. And I'm not talking about a rating system like gymnastics. You know, I'll give it a 6.5. <laughs> Dang, I gave it a 9. I mean, um, things left unsaid in this area often lead to frustration and anger and a, a lack of fulfillment as much as in any other area of, of marriage. Um, I think one of the big improvements over the years with Jane and I is just being able to talk about these things. Um, I think we all need to be aware of our pride. Um, you're probably not as good at this as you think. Um, but again, things left unsaid um, probably are, are one of the greatest hindrances in this, in this area. It's, by the way, is why your sexual relationship, even though it changes in ways, can improve as you get in your 40s and your 50s and your 60s and your 70s and hope in your 80s. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you, honey. Janie just said dream big. Um, <laughs> Now, every bit of junior high immaturity is rising in my heart. <laughs> but I'm going to control myself. All right, be partners. Um, the sexual relationship is meant to be just that. It's a relationship. It's not something that's done by someone to someone. Uh, it is relational in nature. Uh, Hugh Thompson in his book, Fulfillment in Marriage, said, ask any group of wives to say one word, in, in one word, what they want most from their husbands in their sex life. And they will say words such as understanding, sensitivity, tenderness, or romance. Ask husbands and they will answer enthusiasm. Uh, the, the point is, you, you're, you're, you're looking for, for things, but you're, part, you're doing this together. You're doing this to serve one another. Uh, thinking about creativity, there's nothing that says that your sexual relationship has to be mechanical or routine. Um, it can be creative in time and place. Uh, just remember the danger and alone thing that I said before. Uh, technique, atmosphere, dress, uh, the only caution being creativity and, and novelty isn't the goal. It's, it's just one element of your relationship. Um, and then uh, fifthly, just plan your lovemaking. I think uh, anticipation and being able to be relaxed and ready, saving your best for one another. Uh, I think the last minute approach probably isn't the best. It could be appropriate at times, but um, hey, halftime of the football game, we got 15 minutes. What do you say? We, um, I, I don't think that best serves the marriage relationship. Let me just end with this final thought. Um, the bed is the heart of the home, the arena of love, the seedbed of life, and the one constant point of meeting. It is the place where night by night, Forgiveness and fair speech return that the sun may not go down on your wrath. 
where the perfunctory kiss and the entirely ceremonial pat on the backside becomes unction and grace. It is the oldest, friendliest thing in anybody's marriage, the first used and the last left, and no one can praise it enough. I think that's a wonderful way to end. Amen. All right, Michael.